the volume. Oral Sessions is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there's a contest for every fan. FanDuel, more ways to win. Oh, baby, baby, baby. I thought I was going to hit that in a better note and kind of sing it like a ooh, baby, baby. Welcome to Oral Sessions. Today I have on, I've been doing a lot of repeat customers on the program lately, but I feel like it's been necessary. I mean, Sami Zayn is Sami Zayn, and I would have him on this show any damn day that he wanted because I just like to take a little peek inside the mind of Sami Zayn. Then we had on Matt Cardona. This man has been blowing up the world from becoming the GCW world champion to having PBR commercials airing during Dynamite, just taking over the indie scene and the podcast scene, which stay out of my lane, Cardona. But now having on Chelsea Green, she stepped in and helped me out when I was out on maternity leave and she wanted to cut her teeth in the podcast world. She has her own podcast, Green with Envy, which you can check out. But I appreciate that she wants to come on here and just keep having some conversations. But she's also just ending up everywhere lately from Impact, Ring of Honor. Hopefully, eventually we'll see her in AEW. She talks about it here about uh, who she would like to face off against in all elite wrestling. But she's taking over things and it's not always easy when you've been... uh, let go from the world of WWE, but she seems to be really turning all of these things into a positive and taking control of her career yet again. So kudos to this woman. Here she is. Let's get into it. It's Chelsea Green. You were in the driver's seat last time. Now I have taken control of the show again and the tables have turned. You are my subject. I'm so glad the tables have turned because let me tell you something. When I first started my podcast, everyone said I was crazy for doing it alone. And I'm like, "Mm, I could talk alone for 45 minutes. That was so hard. And then now it's like hard reverting back to not being on my own and having to listen to somebody and care what they're saying and respond. When I had Santino Morella on the show, I literally was like, Hey, we've got Anthony Corelli here. And I feel like I didn't talk the rest of the show. He just like, he was going and he had things he wanted to say. And I was like, oh my God, what an easy day in the office for me. And then some days it's not like that, which is fun because I I enjoy having the conversation. But yeah, doing a solo podcast is a ballsy move. Nobody warned me like how ballsy it was going to be. And I'll, I'll never forget that first episode. I sat down and I had this, big list of what I was going to talk about. And, um, I sat down. You need like a, a thing of like Adderall to yes, do that. too. I, like and just keep, thing, yeah. I don't drink coffee. <laughs> so I was fucking slaying back the coffees and I recorded and I was done in 12 minutes. <laughs> and I was like, wait, wait, what? And that concludes today's episode. <laughs> I cannot go in unless I have a full layout of transitions of everything, every little detail. Cause otherwise I will move on too quickly and I won't touch on things that I wish I had of. And so, you know, it's a learning process. Yeah. It's really hard to produce yourself sometimes. 
I'll lose my train of thought sometimes. And if you do that when you're by yourself, you're screwed. There's no one that can pick up the slack while you're trying to like recover and think about what you were trying to say. No. And that is something that happened. Like, I think I'm on episode 15 and um, last week was the first time I recorded sick. And when I say I was sick, I'm saying like I had gone for COVID tests. Oh, like, no. Yeah. Like I really felt like I was on my deathbed. So there was no way I was going to talk about the subject that I wanted to talk about. So. I just did a Q&A and I'm sure you could actually picture me laying in bed, not giving a fuck because <laughs> I was like, dude, dude, and I trailed off and I did. Yeah, I forget what I'm saying. So next question. Sometimes I feel like people like those, but anytime I've done a Q&A episode is when, yeah, you're really just like, I got to put some kind of content out. This is easy. I don't have to think about it too much and you can just be reactionary and they're fun to do, but it's a whole other situation. Cause even like when I had you step into guest host or all the guest hosts that I had when I was having my baby, it's a lot of work. So I felt bad asking people to do it. Cause I'm like, you don't really just hop on and turn on the mic. Like you've really got to do more than that. You really have to do your research. And, and I was lucky. I mean, the people that I suggested to talk to, to you, you know, like Kelly, Kelly and Matt, like those are two people like I know everything about them. <laughs> yeah, you know all the dirt already. You know, you can just air it out to the public. Oh, yeah. Like if I'm talking to Kelly Kelly, I'm talking wags. And with Matt, like that was so easy, but it's still not easy. That was the easiest subject I could have had besides my fucking mom. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've done both of those and it's hard. Sometimes when I have John on, I'm like, dude, he makes me feel like I'm pulling fucking teeth sometimes. And I'm like, can you just do the thing with me. Like, you know, the camera's on, the mic's on. Can you just like put on the John Moxley mojo a little bit? Now that you're saying that, now I know you understand. How about the fact that I listen to Matt turn it on in a second and and he's sitting there making me ask him these. And like, I'm just, I keep going. And I'm like, no, but come on, give me a little more. Like, I know you can talk for 10 minutes straight. So fucking talk. <laughs> Yes, I did. So my like very first episode that I wanted to do of this show was with John and we sat down to record it. I was like not a part of volume. It was just us in this room, hit record and did it. And I was trying, like, I really wanted it to be just about him. I'm going through his career and he's like, this fucking sucks. He didn't want to talk to me about any wrestling stuff. I'm like, dude, I don't know. It's what the people want to hear. Yeah, he hated it, hated it. He made it terrible. And then I had my mom on who um who had smoked a joint right before we started recording, <laughs> which was great. <laughs> but I could see every time I'd ask her a question, she would just kind of flake out on me where I'm like, oh my God, mom. She would probably, I normally she would die that I was saying this, but she did a promo and admitted herself that she had smoked a bit of a joint before she hopped on to do this. But anyways, yeah, it's like, what do you pull behind the curtain and what can't you? It's, it's a very, uh, very fine line. Especially when you know everything about that person. And I really wanted Matt to dive a little bit deeper into, you know, what he dealt with, um, with his cancer in high school. And he just, and I knew he wasn't going to, and I kept poking and he gave us like this tiny sliver, but I'm like, that's something that I know that they don't, that I want to give to them. And you're not giving it to me. <laughs> Closed up. The key is thrown away and nobody gets it. Yeah. yeah. It's really tough. Okay. So I went back and was listening to your guys episode that you did um, in preparation to interview both you. And I just had Matt on. And you were talking about how much speaking is such a forte for you. I mean, obviously you have your podcast, Green with Envy, and you really want to get on that barstool bandwagon. This seems like such an easy layup. 
yes, we know that they've got um, the what's her face that you like. Call her daddy. Call her daddy. Well, I was just going to say something about cat daddy because yeah. of you guys. Yes. Well, OK, so here's the thing. Right now, I am closer than I ever have been to Barstool. I actually am supposed to have a call with them today at some point. Mm. I know I've got like my phone here waiting, but it's funny. It's a lot like wrestling. And I actually was telling all my girlfriends this. It's a lot like wrestling where when you're not in, it's so hard to make that contact and make that initial breakthrough. And then once you're in, they all talk to like the Vince of the company. Yes. You know, they all have yeah. Dave's number and Erica's number and they all are right there working alongside them every day. It's just, I'm not in the circle yet. Just got to get your foot in the door. Yeah. So I'm pushing, pushing, pushing. I know that they have a demographic to fill now that they lost call her daddy, which is that yeah. 18 to 30 year old demographic. So I'm trying to figure out this happy medium with my podcast where I know my audience but I'm trying to get a new audience and the 18 to 30 year old female is the audience that aren't we all trying to attract. Cause even when I started doing this show, like I obviously have on tons of wrestlers, but there's times that I don't. And I'm like, Hey, check out this other thing over here. And you're really trying to bring that fan base over to a, a new subject or something like that. And it can be way tougher than I thought that it was going to be. It's so much harder than I thought it was going to be as well. And, you know, I've tried going the route of posting workout stuff on social media and seeing who that attracts. Then I did the bikini thing. You know, then I've tried to do like a little bit like more fashionable stuff. And guess what? It doesn't matter. I have like 89% male followers and I just cannot get away from that. So that totally converts over to your podcast listeners and everything. Using my cookbook for an example of that, when I was like, I want to write a cookbook, I want to do this. And I had to pull all my demographics for that. And people are like, uh, I don't know that that's going to translate. Luckily, I was able to pull it off and, and have my book. It was a bestseller on Amazon. Anyways, even like on my Instagram, all I post is like pictures of my dogs and like cooking and people don't really give a fuck. But if I just post a picture of my dumb face or something, or like, of course, anything with John people love, but yeah, yeah. Sometimes you got to give them a little bit of what they want and then throw in a little bit of what you want. It's a, it's a very um, delicate balance. No question. And that's the balance I'm trying to figure out with the podcast, like social media, not so much. Do I care about being an influencer? No, not really. Especially now being with Matt, like Matt has taught me post whatever you want. Stop caring how much you post or how little you post. Must be nice to be a dude, right? Yeah. He doesn't care. You know what I mean? Like I care so much more, but I'm trying to not care. But with the podcast, it's like, you know, this is going to be my business and I want it to be kind of the breadwinner of the family. So I do need, if I want this job at Barstool, I do need to start figuring it out, out a way to kind of get a new demographic. And that is, you know, like it's so hard and, and nobody's teaching me. And I'm just like the blind leading the blind over here, seeing what sticks. The people that have mastered it, is the Bella twins. They have done it so well. I mean, just from everything they've been able to do with having total Bellas and making that show such a huge success after total divas. And now they've got their beauty line. They've got their clothing line. Now they've got a baby line. Like they know how to do it. And women love the Bella twins. They have broken the mold. They are goals. And I really think that the Total Divas and Total Bellas, that was their breakthrough moment to connect with a female audience, that reality TV female audience, especially on E. 100%. And to have like season after season, 
we need to have a little like powwow session with them to be like, how do we, how do you do it? I know they're geniuses. And I think that they didn't even know they were geniuses. And that's what I love so much about them. Yeah, they just did it. And they were like, mm, I guess that works. I'm sure there's there's more behind it than that because I know they work their asses off. But there's just something about what they do that connects with with people. Just, you know, obviously they have a huge wrestling fan base, but outside of that, they have just grown so instrumental. Anytime I tell someone, I'm like, oh, I'm from like WWE. They're like, oh, like the Bella Twins. I'm like, yeah, they've done it. And it doesn't matter what age or um, sex they are. Everyone knows the Bella Twins. And that's like huge for, I mean, especially like females in this industry. 100%. So they've laid down a little little groundwork for us that we can follow suit and follow that yellow brick road to uh, to new demographics. <laughs> We're getting there. Um, but it seems like things are kind of just coming up. Chelsea, these days in general, you are working everywhere. Now, just announce that you're going to be in the NWA main event that's coming up very soon, working, of course, with Mickey James, getting everything headed in that direction to face the NWA women's champion. It's a battle royal, right? Yes. So it's a battle royal, which I actually didn't know until today. (laughs) I just saw that on Twitter. So right before I logged in to chat with you, I just found that out. I'm like, probably good to know. Um, I just feel like this year and the manifestations that I've kind of like made for myself have seriously come to fruition. And I never really believed in manifesting. I always thought it was something that people who already have money or already have opportunities, they say they manifest stuff because they just get it right. Like I always felt that way. I thought about it and there it was like, blow it out your ass. Yes, exactly. And that's like when I hear the Kardashians talk about manifesting, I'm like, or you use your $2 million you had sitting on your fucking bedside table and you put that towards your company. But now I'm like, no, I totally eat my words. I take it all back. I really think that putting it out into the universe and making yourself vulnerable to possibly failing, like whatever it is that you put out there, I really feel like it works. You know, like when I got fired, I put out there all the things I wanted to do. And one was to work at all these companies around the world. Three of them being go back to impact, start at ring of honor and and try to get on NWA. And now like, look, booked and busy bitches in one month, I'm going to be doing all three companies and I don't have any time to even do independent promotions. How amazing is that? It's fantastic. Even just when I was talking to Matt the other day and seeing everything that he said, and then him and I ended up having a a side conversation about sort of the manifestations and he is big into like writing down your goals. And I really thought about that for like the two days after, since I just spoke to him that like, that's really been in my head that I do really feel like that is a thing that successful people do. No matter which way you look at it, there's no successful person that's just like, I don't know. I just wake up and it just kind of happens. No, they like They think about that shit. They visualize things. I need to start doing more of that. It's it's amazing what can happen when you start really focusing on that daily. And putting it down on whether it's paper or the internet or whatever. Matt and I, I think almost every year we've been together have randomly done like a vision board. And I'm not really an arts and crafts kind of girl. So my vision board is literally pen to paper you know, like maybe on a bigger one and maybe it's colorful or something like I'll send you some Sharpies. You'll be good. Or a magic marker. Nice little pink Sharpie on a blue board or something like that. But I do think it works because you are putting it out there, whether it's for your partner or for yourself to keep reminding yourself. For me, I just feel like telling my family, my friends or Twitter helps me 
stay accountable. I need some form of accountability, whether people believe in me or not. The accountability is what makes me actually try harder. And there's also something to be said, I think, especially um, using social media, whether it's on Twitter, Instagram, whatever, that you put something like that out there, that it sparks something in somebody else that may have read it to go, oh, I didn't know Chelsea wanted to do that. I know so-and-so that can connect her to this thing. And then things just kind of snowball. I mean, that's what happened with my cookbook for the longest time. I was like, I want to write a cookbook. I don't know. It's just a thing I want to do. I have been tweeting about that for a long time. And then finally, Amanda Ludecki Uh, She stepped in and she was like, I think I can actually help you make this cookbook. I was like, oh, my God, finally. And then that's what kind of got everything in the wheels of motion for me to be able to do that. But had I not just like kept posting about that and trying to make that happen, it never would have existed. I can't even tell you the amount of mean tweets I've read saying like, oh, you you know, like just like, oh, Chelsea's so desperate trying to get on Barstool. Like I actually am totally fine with my life and I, and I am totally okay with sitting in my, on my floor here recording my podcast, even if it's to two people. But what I am going to do forever is I am going to keep talking about Barstool or talking about Playboy. And then the minute that I get on there, that will be the reason why is because I never stopped. It's funny. I saw someone saying that about me recently because I I mean, I always post NHL stuff. And then once I saw that they were going to TNT, I mean, yeah, I don't care. I'm like, oh, yeah, shit, TNT, me and Wayne Gretzky, let's go. Like, it's like half a joke. But like, yeah, if they wanted me to go do it, I'm like, all right, sweet game on. Let's do it. But like mostly I'm like, obviously, they're not going to hire me to hang out with Wayne Gretzky. I'm a fucking idiot. But how do they get they don't they don't know unless you say it. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows you want that opportunity. Nobody knows that you even thought about that. Right. Like unless you put it out there, nobody can read your mind. Transparency. Get it out there. Make shit happen. OK, so you've done that. You have made shit happen. You are busy as all hell right now. What is it like, like sort of the creative process of going into these places like uh, like NWA, Ring of Honor, going back to Impact? What has that been like for you um, in contrast to your time that you've had in WWE? You know, in WWE, I felt like nobody had faith in me. I knew when I went in that I was hired for a reason, that they had faith in me going in. And then I felt like I lost their faith. And I don't know where along those two and a half years that that happened or if that's just something that happens at that company. Right. But sure. There's a case for both. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of both, but all of a sudden I I got released and all these companies have come to me and been like, we trust you. We have faith in you. We love you. What do you want to do? And I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> oh, wait, I'm not ready for that. But like, I, I am ready and, and I have Matt to remind me I'm ready. And I've, I've really kind of like put pen to paper and tried to figure out like, what is this new Chelsea going to be? What is the new hot mess going to be? You know, again, I don't want to go back to just what I was doing before and what was easy. Like I have a fresh start. And so I want to start over again and build the new version of the hot mess. But each company is different and each company wants something different out of me. So I'm I'm figuring it out as I go. I mean, I will never forget um, going out to Wrestle and Slammiversary and having Tommy Dreamer say, you already did the work. And now we all just want to go see you out there smiling and happy. And we all just want you to be in that ring. So don't even think about it. And Maria Canellis at Ring of Honor said the same thing. She's like, you look so stressed. We're like, so happy to have you here. We just want you to go out and do exactly what you've been able to do. Pick up a microphone and talk. And I'm just like, hold up. What? Why is everyone so nice to me? <laughs> do you guys know something? I don't know. Why is everyone being like that? I thought I was a failure. <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> so 
it's such a funny thing to have that feeling of that sort of rattled insecurity that can happen when you start to not trust yourself as a performer anymore. And what a mind fuck is that? To step away from something like that and be like, okay, now I can finally do my thing. And then all of a sudden you start backpedaling a bit of like, fuck, if I fuck this up, then that's that's totally on me. I talk this big game. I have all these things that I want to do. But once your confidence is shaken like that, it, it can be really hard to get your feet back underneath you to keep going. I mean, luckily for you, because you are so busy and you have so many opportunities, it's just kind of on to the next year and you can keep building and figuring it out as you go. But it is such an interesting thing that I feel like um, happens to a lot of people outside of uh, leaving WWE, not to talk shit or anything. Everyone freaks out about this. I'm not talking shit. I know the minute that you say anything, I mean, I've said so many great things since being released about WWE. And the minute that I say one, the minute that I said in my ring of honor promo, it's like pitchfork and torches outside your house. Yes. It was an absolute witch hunt. I have been the exact same. Like I will always say my time at WWE was amazing. I would not have the things that I have today were it not for WWE. But there's good and there's bad with everything. It doesn't mean everything is perfect all the time. Yes, they were fantastic to me. I got a million different opportunities. It was great. It doesn't mean that you don't get like fucked with sometimes or you feel like. No, of course. It's a giant company. And no matter what you do, look at J-Lo. I'm sure she has bad days on tour. And not only bad days, but just kind of like down times and up times. And that's the tough thing with wrestling is you're given everything at once and then it's all taken away and you kind of lose yourself in those moments of being the you know top guy and then being nothing. And I mean, you could see the struggle mentally I was going through. If you go and look and watch my NXT matches, the very first NXT match that I had on live television, I hit my finisher backwards. Well, like, what do you think that is of just like getting in your head too much micromanaging that you like forget who you are, that you second guess yourself. And that's really scary as an athlete to go out and do that because you take one slight misstep. Injuries happen. Bad things happen during that shit. That's exactly what it is, is like you work so hard to get this dream job and then you get there and you realize like, oh, man, like this is not what I envisioned. This is not what I imagined. And sometimes you are like feeling a thousand percent. And sometimes you feel this small. And on those days that you feel this small, that affects every single bit of you. And when I went out there for that day, I didn't believe in myself. I felt like nobody believed in me. I felt like I had so much to prove. And I forgot about the list of accomplishments that I, you know, and the reason I was there, which is I already proved myself. And I, hit a finisher that I have been doing at that time. I had been doing it for six years. That's crazy. Yeah. It, it really proves like the pressure that is on every single one of these people. And I wish that Twitter knew that it, for sure. And you know what the thing is, even us saying this, I'm sure it's going to be like headlines. They were said this and this and this. It's like, no, but it's like, this is how it is sometimes. You know, I always go back to my experience of, of doing commentary. I went out there and I was like, okay, I enjoy this. I actually feel like this should be a thing that I should be great at. This should be my spot. I earned this spot in this chair. And as soon as I started to feel that people weren't believing in me anymore and that my confidence started to shake, I didn't know what I was doing anymore. I was like, do I know how to do this? Do I know how to be on television right now? What the fuck am I doing? And you lose your like everything that made you special, your comedic timing or your wit. 
It's gone. It gets wiped away from you and you're like, oh shit. Like, wait, your instincts get away from you. And that's such a scary thing. Like you, we rely on our instincts so much as performers to like be able to pivot and improv and whatever. And once that's gone, you're like, oh God, what what do I do with my hands? Yes. (laughs) It is such a mind fuck. And there's, you know, I was talking to someone recently about the, the sweetest spot when you're working is when you don't give a fuck. Like you're just doing the thing that you want to do. Your confidence is at a high. You don't care what everyone else around you is thinking. And those days are not consistent, unfortunately. At least they're not for me. Uh, And yeah, it's like trying to, you wish you could just bottle that and keep it. I think back to my time at Impact um, when I was first there and I was a hot mess and I was champion and all this stuff. And it's funny, at the time, I just took it for granted. I thought that's how wrestling was. I was carefree. I was always happy. I never thought about my position in the company or what people thought about me or anything because I didn't Mm -hmm. give a shit. I was going out there and being a drunk bride (laughs) wrestling with no shoes on. Nobody ever critiqued me. Nobody like there was no like negative juju Mm -hmm. around me. And I was so naive to think that that's what wrestling was. That wasn't what it was. I was just in a time in my life where I didn't give a fuck. And in a great way. Yeah. In a really, really positive yeah, it's not, way. It's like when you say like not giving a fuck or not giving a shit about something, it's not a matter of not wanting to put in the work. It's just being able to be in that moment and be present and just do the thing that you know that you're good at. Yeah. Do it with such ease and so carefree. Where did the concept for the hot mess come from? We had no idea that's the direction it was going to go in. We knew that the big blow off was going to be that I got left at the altar. And the funny thing is, is that um, (laughs) this is and this is so impact that they didn't think about the fact that they gave us bottles of champagne that were bottles of real champagne. Oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah. So me and I think it was like Mike Bennett at the time and maybe Spud, we were up there. I had got left at the altar and they had all the bottles of champagne. So they kept passing them to me. By the time the segment was over, it was really long. It was like 25 minutes. By the time the segment was over, I had drank like two bottles of champagne by myself. Oh my God. Just like slurring, makeup smeared. Yeah. So (laughs) then I go to the back and they're like, let's just, you know, we're done. We're all clapping. We're done. We're done for the week. Um, because we record impact in chunks of like four to six weeks. So we were done for taping and that was like the big blow off for all of us. So they told me like, just quickly film like, um, a little pre-tape post segment thing. And I was like, what? Like, no, I don't want to, but they're like, come on, just quickly do it. It'll be fun. Like, okay. So I sat down in the makeup room and they wanted me on the ground. They told me to um, mess up my hair. And then Dutch Mantel love Dutch, love Dutch, love him. And like, Oh, what a guy. He always really loved the character. So he's like, I want to produce this. So (laughs) I would love to see him producing. Yeah. He's like, put your makeup on all over. And I was like, no, what? Like I'm supposed to be like sexy and cute. He's like, just mess it up. So I was like, okay. And I smeared my makeup. I'm like, is this okay? Is this better? He's like, that's perfect. Press record. And he was like, sing something. I'm like, I don't sing. And then I'm like, okay, you know what? I sang the sun will come out tomorrow. My hair was messed up. My makeup was messed up and I was drunk. So I was kind of actually crying. I never thought about it again until it aired like six weeks later. I was single at the time. So I did not care about like, what anybody thought like at all, what anybody thought. So I, um, came back to tapings seven weeks later and I was like, guys, we need to stay in the dress. And they were like, 
hundred percent. All they said was do it crazier than you did last, you know, yesterday. <laughs> I made the dress dirtier as the weeks went on. I cut the dress. It got shorter and shorter. Everyone gave me ideas of what to incorporate. I would come out with a champagne bottle. I would come out with a shoe. The minute I put that dress on, I felt drunk and happy. I mean, I would just bring it around the house. Shit. Keep that party alive. Oh, I've got it. Oh, that I know exactly <laughs> where that dress is. I love that. Leave it to dirty Dutch to pull it all together. Right. I mean, you think of the inner workings of that man's mind and everything he has seen and done through his career. He's the best. I miss that guy so much. He's one of a kind and we will forever have this bond. One of the things that I love about betting my favorite sports is that I'm always finding new player props or game props that I like. Now, what's cool about FanDuel Sportsbook is you can combine these props with other bets from the same game to score an even bigger payout. It's called the same game parlay bet, and you can only find them on FanDuel. So same game parlay is just one of the many reasons that I bet with FanDuel. Other things that I absolutely love about FanDuel is just how easy it is to use. If I can do it, you can do it. Trust me, I can be a bit of a dodo when it comes to these things. So FanDuel just helps me through the whole thing. It's easy to register, easy to deposit, easy to find your bet. And there's also live betting. So it's super easy to place your bet fast during a game. If you are seeing some kind of trend that you like during that game and you want to hop on there and try to make a quick buck. Also the fast withdrawals. So when you win, FanDuel pays your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Make that money. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app today to create a same game parlay and use promo code Renee at the sign up. New users get their first bet risk free up to $1,000. FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win. That is promo code Renee, R E N E E, so that FanDuel knows that I sent you. Disclaimer. 21 plus and present in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Minimum bet $10. Maximum bonus $200. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 for Colorado. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. 1-800-GAMBLER for New Jersey and Virginia. Or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Who do you want to work with? What is left on this vision board of things that you want to do as you are like free and clear to do whatever the hell you want? Of course, I want Impact to give me the chance to take the knockouts championship off of Deanna, especially because it's my best friend. I want to work her. And of course, I want to go to AEW and, and work Brit. And uh, that's obviously going to forever be on my to-do list, those two things. Um, and then aside from that, like, I really, truly want to step back from wrestling and focus on what's going to bring me happiness for the rest of my life. Because, you know, as a female, um, we want families and, and we want something that our body can actually do for the rest of our lives. And wrestling ain't it. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's funny. I was I just did an interview where I was talking about this and I mean, obviously athletically it's a little bit different of I don't I don't want to use the term shelf life for this, but as an athlete you can only go as far as your body will take you, of course. Um, but just in terms of like creating another part of your career and things that you can do, you can talk all damn day long. Exactly. I'm never going to lose my voice. <laughs> Knock on wood. Shit. Let's hope not. But there is something so nice about that. I mean, even me being home right now with, with my baby, it's cool that like I can pop upstairs. I record the show. My mom's downstairs with the baby right now because John's on the road. And 
you just get to keep working and keep carving out your little corner of the universe that you want to work with and make shit come together. It's it's such a cool time. And I think COVID really kind of got us there too to get those like creative juices flowing of like, okay, what else can I do outside of this that I can do from home? I don't have to be in a studio. And I, don't, I mean, I do have a whole team working on the show. Bless them. With COVID, you know, I had a lot of time to to prepare for this, especially seeing Matt being released a year before me. Um, I That really got the wheels turning and then being released and having the 90 days. One thing that people forget about me is that I'm Canadian. So this is not an easy transition for me either. I can't just jump into another career or anything. Like I, I really have to think about that because my visa only allows me to wrestle. I had talked to the Iconics about this because yeah, a lot of people forget what, or they just don't know what a nightmare it is. If you are not American and you're just on an, you have an O-1 visa or something. I just finally got an O-1 visa. I just Spent the ten thousand dollars. <laughs> well, at least you're good for what five years now. Now I'm good for three. And you're getting married soon, so that helps. You're getting married to an American. <laughs> All these things are finally lining up, but you know, it's it's this tough thing where when I was released, everyone's like, "You'll be fine. You can go anywhere." And I kept putting out into the universe that I wanted to go everywhere, but logistically, we didn't know how we were going to make that work. Like I really had to get a legal team that knew what they were doing in order to apply for a visa and be approved for a visa that allowed me to do everything. Because as you know, normally it's company to company. Yeah. That's what an O one visa is for people that don't know. It's for like a, an entertainer of special skills per se. So you have to really prove why you are exceptional at the thing that you do and why you are the best person for the job over an American. It is like, Oh my, I, it's my, my file for it. I actually should probably grab it to show you, but it is like a stack. I just got mine in the mail. Mine's about that thick. Now, because it's my fourth visa, I have, I keep all of them because every new visa that I get, I give all that information back and I resubmit it. So yeah, you know, um, and I'm trying to educate as many Americans as I can about this process. And and so they understand like, look, do I want to go and, and audition for all sorts of things? Of course, but I legally cannot. I had that harsh reality when I was like 19. I was like, I'm going to move to L.A. I am ready to go. I literally packed a bag, moved to L.A. And I I couldn't get a meeting with an agent, with a manager. Nobody would see me because they're like, you're here illegally. We can't do anything for you. In my mind, I was like, I don't know. I guess I'll just like go audition and somebody will sponsor me if I get something. And nobody would even see me because they're like, get out of here with that. I also had very little credits to my name at the time. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. And, you know, it's like this, these are things, there's so many things that I look back and I'm like, man, I wish the school system taught immigration and taxes and mortgages and all these things that I'm just learning as I go. Cause even like with my daughter now, I'm like, Hey, obviously she's an American. She's born in America, but I'm like, I have all of her paperwork ready to send it off to get her her Canadian citizenship. So she doesn't have to fuck with this shit. That's what my mom did. I'm a dual citizen for um, uh, Europe. I mean, now just UK, but um, that because my mom did that when I was very young, I have been able to just re-up my passport every five to 10 years. Super easy. Um, when I when I um, marry Matt, I'll have to drop the UK passport, which is kind of sad because I can only be dual. I can't be multiple if I have a U.S. passport, but that's okay. It's funny doing the like citizenship. I mean, I got mine a couple months ago and yeah, it was the same thing where I was like, I am sick of this paperwork. This is exhausting. I'm sick of the stress of it. 
I'm just, I'm doing it and becoming a citizen. And now it's, it's, I don't have to deal with that paperwork ever again. I'm so jealous. I'm so what jealous. an absolute treat. Um, okay. So going back to working with Deanna and Britt, uh, you want to work with two of your best friends. What is it like uh, collaborating with them and getting on the same page? Do you guys all instantly gel or do you guys butt heads on things? How does that go? We all gelled because we all kind of started coming up at the same time. And it's funny, we were all in totally like different areas. You know, Britt was like in Pittsburgh and um, Dee was in New Jersey and I was in Canada. But for some reason, we all were connecting through social media and we just like instantly hit it off and we instantly tried to use each other to like and the matches that we had to like elevate ourselves. And I think like there was the girls that came before us that were already on shimmer. And then there's kind of our little like group of girls that came up together. And now there's like the new girls that are on the indies and coming into WWE and stuff like that. We hit it off immediately. And then we stuck together and we all just knew our common goal was that we wanted to get to WWE. So we all pushed each other to get those tryouts and to have the best matches and checked in with each other and, and, hung out and stayed at each other's houses when we needed it. And it's just always worked like that. And it's rare, but I found that group of girls. And then on the other side of things, I found myself, Rosemary, Allie and um, Sienna or Alice and Kay. Like that's another group of girls that they're just like the best humans in the whole world. And we talk every day and I love them. It's the best. Having good girlfriend relationships is the shit. When you strike gold and you've got like that great friendship, there's nothing better than that. Love a good girl hang, especially in wrestling. Like I have my girl gang from Canada that I grew up with that will never go anywhere. And we see each other every Christmas and there's about eight of us best friends. That's that, right? Like I know that I have them, but the minute I left, it was like, I felt so alone in this wrestling world, especially being a Canadian and, and having to travel all the time. And I was just kind of like, felt a little lost. Like I felt like the only person in Canada that was like, I'm going to WWE and there's nothing you can do about it. (laughs) And I know that that probably annoyed people. And that's why I was alone. But until I met these girls with the common goals, I was just kind of floundering. And once I found them, it's like, oh, okay. There are people like me that want to succeed and want to help each other. Yeah. It's funny how much that like, if you have like outlandish big goals like that, that it freaks people out and they're like, okay, people can check out really quickly on that. That just don't get that vision or have that same mindset for themselves. It's a trip. Or if they are a big fish in a little pond, I've always wanted to be a little fish in like the biggest pond I can find. I don't mind that. It's very scary, but like, that's just what I want to keep, you know, jumping to a big, you got to grow the goldfish only stays as big as the little bowl that you put it in. Exactly. Okay. So thinking of matches and elevating, um, careers and all that, I must take you back of course, to your fiance's match with Nick Gage. What was it like for you watching him in a death match like that? I mean, this is where our support group starts. We are, it's happening right now in real time because it is nuts watching your loved one be in a match like that and not be able to tell what the fuck is happening. That was the scariest part is like, I've never watched him in the, in the five years we've been together. I've never watched him and and truly wondered like, is he okay? It really, really bugged me that I was not able to actually be there. 
like I didn't want to be ringside watching, but I would have preferred to be there and have control of when I was able to speak to him and going to the back and fixing him and speaking for him and being like, no, he needs more stitches or like whatever it is. Right. And that was like really scary. I was sitting in Texas watching it on my phone as I'm eating fucking Italian food. It seemed very inappropriate, <laughs> very inappropriate. The, the waitress is like, what is going on? And I'm like, never mind. <laughs> he didn't sleep that night and he was bleeding through everything and he had to get on the plane. And I'm just like so stressed out having to do signings and pretend that everything's okay. And until I saw him and I was actually in that hotel room where he friggin' bled out and was able to like patch him up. I felt sick to my stomach, but then until the moment that I could actually be like hands on and fixing him, I was just like, yeah, so sick. It's such a stress. Like for me, it's that moment of like, okay, I've seen the match. I I watched the match. I've seen that they are done. They finished the match and it's waiting for the text to come through of like, are you alive? Blink twice. What do we need here? I will admit I did text a couple people like the Iconics texted me right after and stuff. And I did like text a couple people like, Hey, I don't fucking know anyone at GCW. So I like, I need you to dig like Brit asked, um, Joey Janela. And then the Iconics were like, reminded me that Emilio was there. Like, okay. So I texted these people like, Hey, just let me know that he's okay. Like we don't, I don't need anything else. I just need to know that he is okay. There's no hospital trips in the future. There probably should have been, but that's okay. <laughs> that's a whole different podcast, but yeah, yes. exactly. You're right. That, that time in between the, the text message or the FaceTime or whatever. And the time he leaves the ring is the, it's definitely, it was like the worst, like 30 minutes and that motherfucker should have texted me right away. Oh, I'm like that with John. I was like, just let me know immediately so that I can chill out. And yeah, as soon as he comes home, I want like that full 360. I'm like, like when him and Lance just had like their death match, he came home and had like full fork prong marks all over his forehead. I'm like, dude, someone came to the house and was like talking to us. Like, you know, you get used to seeing things like that on uh, your significant other. I have to anyways. And you forget that other people are probably looking. I'm like, what the fuck happened to this guy's head? He looks in. Oh, what it was actually. This is like a side story that's so stupid. We live on a golf course and we thought that there was a huge coyote running around out back, but it looked like it was like on, like had rabies or something like it was running back and forth, like in the daytime. So we had been keeping an eye on it. And then one of our neighbors walked out with her little, um, uh, dachshund and we're like, oh shit. So John went out there with like a stick because this, this coyote was like chasing this woman down with her dog. So John's out there with this stick with fork prong marks all on his forehead trying to chase off this coyote that turned out that it was just someone's husky that got out of their house and had rolled around in the dirt. Oh, that is it so was great. Insane. But all like there was a few neighbors out there and John's out there shirtless, fork marks all over his forehead, holding onto a stick, trying to, to bat away this sweet little husky that just wanted to play with somebody. That's really cute. And that is so, that is my life too. I mean, a hundred percent like, black eyes and stuff like that. Like, especially on women, it's probably like, are you okay? Oh, Matt won't go out with me. If I have something on my face, he's like, I I'm sorry, but I can't do it. Like I know what people are thinking of me. So we're not doing it. We're not going. out. <laughs> we cannot do it. That is off the table right now. 100%. Um, okay. So quickly, before we wrap up, I want to go back to, um, what was your debut when you broke your wrist? I can't believe that this happened, but honestly, probably a bit of a blessing in disguise. Wouldn't you say? 
Well, it's so hard to say because it's like, if I hadn't broken my wrist, would I be fired? Maybe not. But at the end of the day, like literally nothing happened. I jumped off the apron, rolled back like I normally would have done. And my wrist snapped or my arm, my forearm snapped. The issue was not the move or what happened or that my bones were brittle. Like so many people have told me I need to take calcium. Like, thank you very much. Thanks. Like, as if I don't know that. No, the issue is that I had, I already had an implant from when I broke it live at NXT. And what we didn't know is that I am allergic to metal implants on my bones. We did not know that until we went back in for surgery, put a larger implant in and my bones reacted. And I had like a swelling. This was right after I was released. I was feeling a lot of pain in my arm and I had been fully cleared and and ready to go months prior to being released. And, um, my arm just kept getting worse and worse to the point where I couldn't even lift like five pounds at the gym anymore. So I went back to my surgeon and, um, he was like, Oh my God, your bone is rejecting the plate and trying to swell away from the plate. So I had emergency surgery the next day. And then of course my bone was healing from that when it rebroke during my 90 days. That's crazy. Totally. But you know, I really was thankful that I understood why ring of honor, um, you know, wouldn't let me wrestle with a cast on, um, because of the commission, like that's real. The the Maryland athletic commission. Oh, they don't mess around. That's the thing. They don't mess around. And I understood that there was no way I, I couldn't even, as you saw, I had to do my promo on the ramp. I could not even go to the ring. They don't play, but in Nashville where impact came on <laughs> they clear and like, yeah. You know, you, yeah, they were really good. Like, okay, we will protect you and we'll do as much as we can, but we still want you to be on Slammiversary. And, and I didn't want to lose that after 90 days of not being able to do anything and hyping everybody up. Like how lame would it have been for me to say yet again, here I am with a broken arm and I can't work. So I'm like, so thankful now that I'm working with this broken arm. I don't right now. I took my cast off to like air it out as we speak. I mean, it's broken, but it feels great. How much longer until you'll be like, good, good with it. I wish I could give you a date, but the problem is, is that, so I got my cast off and now I have a removable cast and they want that removable cast to stay on for six months because of the damage done for with previous surgeries and implants on it. Shit. Yeah. So at this point there is no clear date. And my doctor is just like, I already know you're going to not listen to me. So go ahead and not listen to me, but know the repercussions of, of what's happening here. Oh, brother. Well, you heard it here. Everybody hired. I need my bar (laughs) school contract. Yes. Honestly, help this girl out. Save her arm. (laughs) Save this woman's arm. Um, what has it been like for you working with, uh, with Mickey James and with uh, Maria Canales in the roles that they've taken on both at ring of honor and at NWA? Oh man. Well, Maria taught me so much at impact when we worked together. I used to just watch her because I was in all her segments with her. It's kind of like her little minion. I used to just watch her change, like pick up the microphone and just totally change. And the way she would deliver these promos was so like, you couldn't help, but listen and stop what you were doing and watch. And she's just so good at what she does. So I really tried to emulate the way she was speaking, the cadence, everything. And I really think that her being alongside me while I kind of upped my, my promo skills. Like that's, what's really helped me develop this confidence. And not only that, she gave me 
so many things. She saw my tattoo on my arm that said, and that's how I started doing this. She has given me so many little tips and tricks that I forget. And like, and then when we start talking about it, I'm like, oh my God, like she's an absolute game changer. So you think of everything she's been able to do in wrestling and the fact that she has been doing this for so long, working for so many different promotions. Like, yeah, she is a well of knowledge for someone to sit around and be able to pick her brain. I don't think she gets nearly enough credit for that. Not at all, because we all look at what has someone, how many titles has someone held? What if, what matches have they been in? Like that's it, behind the scenes. We all know. What a bunch of marks. Yeah. Like yeah. we know who the workforces <laughs> are, right? Like, and, yeah. and I have so much respect for her. So working with her at Ring of Honor is a dream. And like, I just think it's going to help my confidence come back tenfold. And then with Mickey, it's like, that is someone that I didn't even realize I was emulating until I was so deep in the hot mess. And so many people were comparing us and I'm like, you are so right. And that is something like that needs to happen. And then of course we've built this bond over not being able to have our storyline together that when we were told we were getting the storyline. And this was in WWE that you guys were supposed to do a storyline together, sort of like the Mickey Trish situation. It was going to be Mickey Trish 2.0. Mickey was going to be the Trish. I was going to be the Mickey. Um, and then it was going to possibly lead to something with Trish. Who knows? Like Trish being ringside for Mickey or something. Like we had so many plans and so, so many ideas. We were talking on the phone every day and we were so excited. So we bonded over the loss of our, of our brainchild. <laughs> and ever since then, she's just been so team Chelsea. And, um, how could I ever like, who would have thought that when I started wrestling, that Mickey James would be behind me and that I would be able to text her or call her at any point in time. Like, how cool is that? It is very cool. Sometimes I have moments like that, like with certain people that I'm like, oh, we're like friends. Cool. And like, I thought you were so cool before we were actually friends. So I totally feel that way about Nikki Bella. I, <laughs> I never forget. She invited Matt and I over to her house. We had a pool party and every now and then we'd like, I'd shoot her a text or whatever. The twins are the best. I love bringing it up to my Canadian friend group because like they don't know <laughs> like they don't know that we actually are all kind of a big family. So like, they just see it as like, oh my god, you're talking to a reality TV star. Of course, oh my god, one so many people that like don't know about wrestling are like, what are what are the Bella twins like? Like they, yeah, love yeah, that. But, you know, you <laughs> sit down at catering beside them, like it's no big deal. It's so <laughs> funny when you were growing up in Canada. Was Trish like the icon for you? My sister and I live for Trish. However, the person who lights my fire and really just made me want to be a wrestler. And I will forever love her as Kelly Kelly. What a babe she is. Yes. And if I hadn't been such a fangirl, I probably could have just like weaseled my way into trying to be her friend, but now it's too far gone and everyone knows that I'm obsessed with her. So I'm just going to continue. <laughs> you know what? The path has already been laid out. Just follow it. It's okay. Ever. I mean, who doesn't want that, right? I'm sure she's into it. No, I really think she is into it. And I probably think she also thinks like, okay, but bitch, you're like two years younger than me. So stop acting like, like I'm 85. <laughs> um, okay. So one thing I would like to wrap up this, uh, this episode with is, um, I would just like you to enlighten the listeners about how magical Vancouver is. Oh, you, so you grew up on Vancouver Island, right? Yeah. Like out in Victoria. Yeah. I've never been there, but it looks like fairies must live there. 
I really feel like, and I didn't realize until I left, it's the fact that it's actually a huge island, but it's a tiny community. And when someone asks, do you know so-and-so from Victoria? Chances are I do. (laughs) I know their family. I know the high school they went to. And what other place in the world? There's very few places that you can surf and snowboard in the same day. Fantastic. Growing up in Toronto or outside Toronto, I've always been a huge Toronto person. I think it's the best city in the world. I love it. Center of the universe. Tra-la-la. Love that place. But the first time that I flew to Vancouver and like landed, I was like, oh, shit. Like the drive from going uh, in from like Vancouver up to Whistler, like that Sea to Sky Highway. Come on. How is that real? That is like Instagrammable beauty. I mean, that drive is one of the best in the world. And then the drive from Vancouver to Calgary, where you hit Revelstoke, Banff, like Hell's Gate, Lake Louise, everything that people put on Instagram and don't even realize that it's Canada. I just like, I I think I've opened up all all my friends' eyes here. Um, Like my American friends, Mackenzie Mitchell, Santana Garrett, Britt Baker, and Deanna Prazo. Like they are all like, okay, we need to go. (laughs) <laughs> we got to go. Canada is the best. I love it. I miss it. I never get to go home at now. I miss it. I miss it so much. And I never get to go home. And I don't know if you guys were the same way in Toronto, but like on the Island, we were so laid back. Like I never locked my doors. I, you know, I went for walks around the block with my front door open and my dog is laying on the porch. Like that is just very like Canadian. I still do stuff like that. I mean, I, maybe I shouldn't be broadcasting that, but actually both of John and I, both of our cars just got broken into a week after I had my baby, my car got broken into. And John's like, did you lock your car? I was like, no, obviously not. Duh. Why would I do that? Why would I have locked my car? I know. Well, and that's the thing, like being Canadian, I just, it doesn't come natural to me. Like that skepticism about everyone does not come naturally. I leave my purse at the airport and I walk to go put stuff in the garbage and I see everyone. I just did it the other day in um, Milwaukee and I saw everyone like, (laughs) I'm like, that's right. Come for me. I'm living on the edge. I'm Canadian. (laughs) I do that. I'll do that with leave. I'll leave my wallet in my grocery cart as I'm walking around doing stuff and John will steal it on me to go pay attention to where you're leaving your stuff. He, he always does that to me of like, Stealing my wallet when I leave it out. Matt does it with my engagement ring all the time. And I will not let it phase me. I'm just like, um, hmm, okay, I know I left something here and I won't give it to him. Like I will not give him the satisfaction, but yeah, he gets me all the time. Gotta just roll the dice sometimes. Though I will say sometimes I feel like because I can be so trusting of other people and I'm like, mm, it's all fine. I've lost my wallet three times and had it returned to me three times. I just lost my wallet last year at Walmart and a family delivered it back to me. See, this happens. I left mine in a bathroom at a gas station between Las Vegas and California. And the woman calls me. She goes, I'm actually making a trip out to Las Vegas. I'll drop it off at your house. I was like, oh my God. John's like, you've got horseshoes up your ass at this point. That is good karma. That is a hundred percent good karma. You put it out there. See, stick with us Canadians. We bring the good karma, the little laid back nature and funny little cute accent. 
which I think mine's gone now, but that's a different story. Mine is too. <laughs> it's fine. Um, all right, girl, thank you so much for joining me here on Oral Sessions. I can't wait to see you popping up on every single promotion that absolutely exists and keeping this podcast world alive. You're going to knock it out of the park, clearly. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and thanks for thanks for guest hosting while I was having a baby. Anytime. I'll brush up my guest hosting skills whenever you need them. Perfect. big thank you to Chelsea Green. I love having a people that I literally can just like have an easy breezy conversation with. She is that chick. She talks about having that gift of gab and she certainly does. I could have kept talking to her about a plethora of different things. So she might be somebody that I just have on regularly as well. Two Canadian gals just hamming it up. Um, All right, guys, check me out. Instagram and Twitter at Renee Paquette at the volume sports for all things. The volume podcast network from my dude, Colin Cowherd. Check out his show, obviously. He's the guy behind this whole thing, so you got to check out his stuff. Duh. This has been Oral Sessions. See you guys. Hear you guys. Talk to you guys on the next episode. Bye.